Lord, we just thank you that we've come today to worship you. We thank you that you are good in every season of life. Lord, you are good. You love us, Lord. We thank you that your word feeds us, Lord God. It strengthens us, it challenges us, it encourages us, it builds our lives. And we pray that today that your word would do that in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may take a seat this morning. My name's Ben. I am one of the pastors on the team as well. I'm also the Newcastle Knights fan that's been persecuted this morning. I merely humbly ask for prayers for the Newcastle Knights. There's no arrogance about it. I'm just asking for the Newcastle Knights. But I'll tell you what, how good was that Matildas game? You know those kind of games where you, you can't sit down anymore? You just have to stand as, like, as if it's going to help the team. And you're just walking, you're just pacing around the lounge room. And, and I've got my wife who's just not a sports person at all. And she's just waiting for when the kids can go to bed. And it keeps getting extended, the game. And she's like, isn't it over yet? I'm like, no, we're in extra time. Our lives are on the line here. We need you to focus. Get down on your knees. Let's pray. And, uh, and then she'd come out and it's penalty shootouts. And by this time, I'm like, I need a defibrillator. <laughs> like, I am, my heart is pounding. And I'm walking along here. And, and she's coming out. It's like, surely it's time for the kids to go to bed yet. Yeah, I'm no, this is history in the making. Stand at attention and watch the TV with us. Does anybody else know that? Anyone got a partner that doesn't really care about sports? It's tough, isn't it? <laughs> it's great. Well, wasn't it great to see? And uh, hopefully Albo gives us a public holiday if we get to uh, the final as well. Let's all hope for that. We're, we're really hopeful. But you know what? In the worship just then, I just wanted to um, bring us to this scripture this morning. Just for a moment. This has got nothing to do with my message. But I just want to pray into this for a second. It says here in Psalm... 94 verse 18 it says i cried out i am slipping but your unfailing love O lord supported me when doubts filled my mind your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer and i just sensed in my spirit this morning that there is perhaps some people here that feel like oh, i'm slipping i am slipping and you know, it's like when you're holding onto a rope and you are, are slipping. There's often because of a number of factors. It's because of fatigue. I can't hold on any longer. I can't do this in my own strength. I, I, can't, I can't get there. And, and vision is lost. I, we start to think, I, I can't do it. And then we start to slip and we start to let go. And I just felt this morning that perhaps there's some people here that you feel like you're in that position this morning. Maybe it's a vision that you've had. Maybe it's a workplace situation. Maybe it's a relational thing. Maybe it's just faith in God. And you just feel like, oh, I'm slipping this morning. I just want to pray for you. Because just like it says here in this scripture, what it says about God, I cried out, I'm slipping. There's a humility there. But your unfailing love, O oh Lord, it supported me. When we're slipping, God's supporting when doubts filled my mind, your comfort gave me renewed hope and cheer. It says here, my God is my rock where I hide. The Lord is my fortress. And I just want to remind you this morning that even though you may feel like you're slipping, God's supporting and His strength is available to you. So Lord, this morning I pray for any person that would maybe feel that, that they're slipping this morning. Lord, I pray for your strength 
your renewed hope, Lord God, to fill them again. Let faith rise up and fill them with encouragement and life and new strength for the journey ahead. Lord, we've all been there. But Lord, when we're slipping, we're reminded this morning that you are supporting, you're strengthening. And when we are weak, you are strong through us. And we pray this morning that we'd feel and know that strength for every person. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, that has nothing to do with my message, but I just felt that. And so when you feel it, you've got to go with it, right? Hey, um, I just want to let you know just a housekeeping thing for our, for our church family, just to know uh, this can go over your heads if you're not a city church person and it's not really a big deal. But I just wanted to let you know that our childcare centre down the bottom, which we own the building for, and we will continue to own the building for. Our tenants have just changed over, and we've, uh, we've got new tenants in place. So we used to have Rob and Susanna Bateman, which were little miracles, and, um, and they used to run the centre there. And they've done so for almost now 10 years, uh, which has been a huge blessing to us. But they're getting to that age where they wanted to semi-retire, and so they were selling off, selling off a few of their childcare centres. They sold off their Blue Mountains ones and their ones in the Hunter Valley, and they're just keeping their ones on the central coast and, and scaling back. And so a new company, Affinity Education, has uh, bought the business and will begin operation from the 21st of August. So if you see a new sign going up in the coming months, uh, that will be because um, there's new ownership there as well. It doesn't really change anything for our, our church. It's still uh, rented out and still as it normally is. But this centre is a centre. They have over 250 centres across Australia. Um, they are quite a big player in terms of childcare centres. I think they do the... Um, kids academy centers and a number of different names that they trade under as well and so yeah that's kicking off on the 21st of August and I just wanted to let you know that if you see that the sign changing you still own the building um, there is just a new tenant that's in place there as well so I thought it's good to know and I think it's just good to be up front when things like that happen and change I've spent so many hours with the solicitors going through it and uh, my head has been spinning, but we are there. It's all sorted out, and we're ready to roll. So it's good for, good for us and good for the future of our church as well. It brings a great income to the church and really strengthens us to be able to continue to pay down our mortgage. So praise God for that. What a blessing. Awesome. Well, I want to get into the Word this morning. We are part three of James. So we're going to be looking at James chapter three this morning, and we've been talking about wisdom when it comes to living well. We'll be talking about a whole bunch of things that James talks about. So James chapter 1, I know Rob spoke an incredible message and talking about the fact that we sometimes go through trials and tribulations and how to be able to process that. We talked last week and Felicity reminded us about the fact that we have no favourites. God doesn't have favourites and we shouldn't either as a church and she spoke a great message reminding us about that and the truth that we should treat every person with love and respect. And today we're going to be talking about the way of Christ and I'm going to look at James chapter 3 this morning and unpack some things that living the way that God's called us to live means that it changes our perspective on a number of different areas. And so let's have a look at James chapter 3 together this morning, verse 1. It says this, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. It's quite a sobering passage, particularly for the person teaching this morning. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That's good to clarify. Indeed, we all make many mistakes, for if we could control our tongues... We would be perfect, 
and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a huge, we can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches, but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And amongst all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. That's encouraging. (laughs) Verse 7. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises um, our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessings and cursings come pouring out uh, of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out of um, both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. If you are wise and understanding God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, that word selfish ambition means uh, a, a party. It's a party or a group that chooses to go off in another direction. Selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So this is a challenging passage. It really talks to us about the fact that as believers of Jesus, that we live and respond as followers of Jesus Christ in a way that should be different to the world, in the way that we understand our responsibility as believers, in the way that we speak, and in the way that we apply wisdom, God's way of living. We should stand out. We should be different. We should not be responding the same way as the world does and we should allow the Word of God to transform us so that we do live differently and look differently in our world. And so I want to look at three ways that the way of Christ changes our lives. The way that Christ has caused us to live changes the way that we respond and live our lives. And the first one this morning is this, number one, the weight of responsibility. It says in the beginning of this passage, dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers of the church, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. It talks here about the importance of understanding what it means to be a leader, what it means to be a teacher, what it means to be somebody that would say, hey, I want to be an influencer of others. And it's a challenge for us to know that, hey, if we're going to be in that position, 
We need to make sure we understand the weight of responsibility. What does the Bible call us? The Bible calls us as believers, ambassadors of Christ. We represent God on the earth. And there is a sense of responsibility and a weight that is on our lives. Paul said it this way, he had the weight of the churches. All the things that he was going through, he still had that weight of responsibility. Yes, we have the grace of God. We have been saved by grace. We have been set free. We live free. But we have a weight of responsibility to understand what does it mean to be a believer? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus, a disciplined one, a disciple? There's a weight of responsibility. You know, our lives are full of responsibility and weight. Our marriages have a weight of responsibility. Our jobs have a weight of responsibility. Our friendships have a weight of responsibility. Our national laws have a weight of responsibility on us. And our faith has a weight of responsibility on us. We should understand our Christian responsibility. That as leaders, as teachers, as ones that are called to be light in this world and to speak the gospel to share the gospel and tell others about Christ, our lives should look different. We should take this responsibility seriously and wear that jersey well. You know, I've said this a number of times, but we uh, uh, become a a soccer family. Our our little boy, Cooper, plays in the under nine Redbacks with a number of people here from church and uh, the privilege of coaching that team with Tim, myself and Dave Goldsmith. And we we love it. We love our under nines team. And uh, we've had a good season, some ups and downs this year. And every time I go to the game, I'm like, I'm going to be calm today. I'm just going to be relaxed. I'm not going to be one of those parents. I'm not going to be one of those people. It's a beautiful day. Sun's out. I go into it with the best intentions every game. And I think that I'm going to be a source of peace for everybody at this game. And unfortunately, like most parents, I get emotional. I get invested in the game. And uh, as a coach, and, 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 and it's pushed it to the extreme because we've had a shortage of referees, so I've ended up at times refereeing the game. And that's hard. Because you're coaching, you're refereeing, you're invested. And, and people yell out things from the sideline when you're refereeing. Other parents... And they say things. A couple of months ago, I was doing that. I was refereeing the game. And this person on the sideline, who happened to be, each team has a coach and they wear a vest and they have a marshal and they wear wear a vest. And the marshal's responsibility is to keep the crowd controlled, make sure everyone's being calm and relaxed. And so on the other team, they had their marshal and our team had a marshal. I was on the field refereeing this game and... This person on the other team, in fact, it was the marshal for the other team. As I'm refereeing, is yelling out, You're cheating, ref! You're cheating! And I'm like, remain calm. Remain calm. Remember what you do for a job, Ben. Remember that you are a pastor. Remember that you're a Christian. Remember that you're refereeing the game. And I'm trying to remain calm. And the nine team, well now, because he's yelling at you're a cheat, all of the team that he's, that all the kids on his team are now disputing every call that I make because of this guy yelling it out. And so now I'm getting frustrated with them. And so anyway, the, the game ends and I'm like, all right, go up and shake hands. Ben, just remain calm, remain calm. 
Anyway, I go up to this guy and I'm like, I can't remain calm. And so <laughs> I go up to this guy and said, hey, what's your name? And he says what his name is. I said, mate, I don't appreciate you yelling out like that during the game. I said, you've got a Marshall jersey on. You literally have one job. <laughs> and you're the one that's the problem. And so he's, I didn't do anything. And he goes off. Anyway, he comes back about five minutes later. And like every great wife, she had convinced him to come back and apologise. <laughs> I could see she's pushing him up to, to come up and talk to me. And he comes up, oh, sorry, mate. I probably got a bit carried away. And I'm thinking, oh, I said, oh, sorry, I, I probably did too. And we... we we, we have, you know, we didn't have a hug, but we shook hands. <laughs> we gave each other a look. We had a bit of a chat. You, you, your team plays pretty well. He said, your, your team plays pretty well. And we were all good. But I thought to myself, you know what? I'm the referee. I've got my jersey on. He's the marshal. He's got his jersey on. And this is a particular moment where we, we both needed to understand the weight of the responsibilities that we had. It's the same for us as believers. You might not know it, but we all wear a jersey. We wear a jersey as believers in Jesus Christ. We are representing Christ as we go out into our workplaces and our families and our, our schools, wherever we go, our areas of responsibility. We are living and operating as light and salt in this world. We're called to be different. We're called to stand out. We are called to understand our responsibility as believers in Jesus. And when we don't do that well, it has effect. People start to lose confidence. People start to, 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 to not trust us. But what I love in this passage that it goes on to say, indeed, we all make many mistakes. Like me refereeing. We all make mistakes. We make mistakes. We don't get it right. But the responsibility on us is to say, hey, listen, I humbly accept I've made a mistake. But God, help me, to, help me to take on this responsibility serious. Help me to take on this weight and understand what you've given me, God. What responsibility you've tasked me with. You know, the Bible gives us many responsibilities. It says, go out into all the world and make disciples. The Bible tells us to love our neighbor as ourself. The Bible talks us to walk in obedience to Christ, to follow his decrees. There's this paradox that goes on where we have this responsibility for our commitments to Christ. But we're also living in the grace of God and we fail and we need to understand that God's grace is there to carry us even when we do make mistakes. So we're walking forward at times with a limp where God's grace is carrying us forward, but we're doing our best to be responsible to what God has called us to do. I love when we talk about Paul, he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. He understood this. He had the weight of responsibility of the churches and, and the things that God had called him to do. But he knew that, hey, listen, I can't do this in my own strength. I need you, God, every day to carry out my level of responsibility. I need you, God, to help me as I take the next step. See, a relationship without a commitment will never be a lasting relationship. And our relationship with God without commitment is, is merely casual. And that commitment causes us to take responsibility seriously, to walk out our Christian experience and to be responsible for what God has called us to do. 
to be responsible for allowing God's word to change and transform us, to help us to become the people God's called us to be. Responsibility, it takes a relationship that's shallow in connection and it takes it to deep commitment. I love 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, it says it this way, All scripture is inspired by God and it is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. So that's what Scripture does for us. Scripture holds the mirror up to our lives. It challenges us to say, hey, this is who you could be. Rise up and become that person. Take the responsibility that I've given you as a believer in Jesus Christ seriously. Allow it to grow you and to build your life. Scripture does that. It positions us in the right spot. Going back to soccer, we have this one kid in our team. And we swap around goalies all, all the time. And it was his week to be goalie this week. And he is one of those kids that gets overexcited and forgets where he's meant to be. I'm like, you're meant to be in the goals. You're the goalie. <laughs> and so he gets excited as the game goes on and, and the goals might be here, but he's like over here. And they're running towards the goals and he's just doing his thing over here. And we're like, and because I was refereeing yesterday, I'm hearing the kids saying, get in the goals. <laughs> and they're trying to get him back there and get him back into the right position and get in the place that he's meant to be. And I think that's what the Word of God does to us. It gets us back into position. It gets us back to where we should be. It reminds us of who we're meant to be. It reminds us of the life we're meant to live. It reminds us of the way we're meant to love people. It reminds us of the way we're meant to be, show kindness. It reminds us of the calling of God for our life, that we are called to go out into all the world and make disciples. It reminds us that we have a mission as a church. It's just not us for and no more, that we are called to reach the lost. The Bible reminds us of the urgency of our faith. The Bible reminds us of eternity. It reminds us of the truth truth of God's word that shapes and builds the church and ultimately builds our lives. And that's why the Bible puts us back into position and it takes us to that understanding that we have a responsibility as a believer in Jesus Christ, not just to just attend church on Sundays, but to allow God to transform our lives and understand that individually we all have a part to play. We all have a responsibility. There is weight that goes with our life as a follower of Jesus Christ. It is 100% free to receive salvation. But the annual membership will cost you everything. Because we lay down our lives as disciples of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that we take up our cross and we follow Christ. That's what we're called to do. The second thing this morning is this, the words we use. If we want to take along the Lord's wisdom and we want to make sure that we are living God's way, we need to make sure that we understand the weight of responsibility and we need to understand that the words that we use are important. You know, it says in this passage, it talks about words. It talks about words as something that drives our lives, something that directs our lives, something that sparks our lives. You know, your words are really a rudder for your future. The things that we speak about ourselves, the things that we speak about others, the things that we speak about the future, it has impact. It transforms. It, it can tear down or it can build up. 
Our words are so important. Our tongue is a small thing, it says here in this passage. But yet it says here that your entire body can be corrupted by it. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. It talks about the, the tiny spark that can create a bushfire. Our words can cause chaos or can cause healing. We have to choose. There's an African proverb that says this, if you think you are too small to make a difference, you haven't spent the night with a mosquito. (laughs) And it's a bit like that with our tongue. It's small. You think it doesn't make a difference what I say? It doesn't change anything? The little words that we speak, the little negativity that comes out, the little sparks that fly out of our lives, the things that we say under our breath, the things that we say to others, it doesn't matter, it's just small, the tongue's just small, it's not causing chaos. Well, what's the tongue done? The tongue's started wars. The tongue has started racism and continued that going. The tongue has ended relationships, marriages and friendships. The tongue has wounded people's confidence. The tongue has ripped apart people's self-esteem. The tongue has disrupted people's futures. The tongue's done a lot of damage. It may be small, but it can have a huge impact. In fact, the Bible says it this way in Proverbs 18.21. It says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So small words can have big consequences. Have you ever noticed that even as a parent, that your kids start talking like you? It's one of the most terrifying things as a parent, when you start hearing your kids say things that you say. And it's funny, even when you're around a friendship group and people talk a certain way, you catch that. I remember Tim McDonald in our friendship group, he used to say the word oisies, which meant the boys. It was just a word that he made up. And we would always be like, yeah, the oisies. And then you'd realize you'd say that outside of a group of people understanding and they're like, what are you talking about? It's because we talk like people that we're around. And so we need to be very careful that when we're around people, that the words that we speak are uplifting. They're building. They're bringing healing and strength. It says pleasant words are are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones in Proverbs. Another uh, passage says, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I want to be that kind of person. Then in a world that is so damaged that my words are bringing healing, life, encouragement, strength to those that are around me. I want to help people lift their head. I want to help people walk into their calling. I want to help people be who God wants them to be. I want my words to shape people's futures. I want my words to be in alignment with the Word of God so that it brings power and hope and strength and life to people's spirit. Our words matter. And I'm not just talking what's said on the platform here. I'm talking what's said in our minds. I'm talking about what's said in our conversations in in quiet. All of those things matter. And we all don't get it right. So I'm not here to say we're all going to be perfect. But let's aim to be people that our words speak life and strength. You know what it says in the Bible about words? That by every word that comes from the mouth of God that that's what we should be built on, building our lives on. People don't live by, live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said that in Matthew 4 verse 4. He's quoting the Old Testament. 
that we should allow the Word of God to shape us. We should allow it to speak to us and help to encourage our life. You know, I've said this many times before in the, in the desert, there's two kinds of birds. There's the hummingbird and there's the vulture. The hummingbird is one that feeds on the natural wildlife that's alive there, the plantation and, the, and, and things that are living. Whereas the vulture only will feed on dead things, things that have already died and decayed, and then it will eat it. Two very different outcomes. Two birds, same environment, but one that chooses to live and to eat and to feed on living things, and one that chooses to live and feed on dead things. And we all have that choice in our life today to choose on the living word, to live on the living word of God, to choose to feed on that, to choose to allow it to nourish our lives and to strengthen our lives, or to choose to live on some of the dead things that this world wants to speak to us about. Some of those things that make us like a vulture eating secondhand information. I want to go to the source of life, the word of God, that thing that's going to feed and strengthen my life. And help me to be who God's called me to be. You know, that vulture, inevitably, it spews up its food when it feels like it's under attack. It's disgusting, right? And it's, they say it's like acid and the smell of it is so disgusting that it actually gets predators to step back. And I think some people's lives look like that when they just feed on dead things. They feed on the past. They feed on mistakes, they feed on negativity, they feed on criticism, they feed on cynicism and it comes out of their life and as they spew it up, as they talk to us, you can see that it just makes you want to step back. But there's something about somebody that brings life to a conversation, that brings encouragement and strength and, and that their words bring healing. Well, you want to be around that kind of person, right? You want, you want, you want that person to, to spend as much time with you as possible because they lift you up and help you be who God's called you to be. I pray we're that kind of church to one another, to our world, that people go, hey, there's something different. The way they speak, it's just so different. And it's because of what God's doing in us and through us. And finally this morning, we've talked about the fact that we need to understand the weight of responsibility we have. We've talked about the fact that, that the words that we speak matter. And finally this morning, we want to talk about the wisdom of God. We all need to have the humility to understand that there are things that we just cannot do on our own, that we need God's wisdom. We need His guidance. I think knowledge is something that we get through experience. Knowledge is something that we can get through going through the hard times and learning lessons. But wisdom is above that because it gives us an eternal perspective. It unlocks and opens up our hearts to what God wants to say and His ways of doing things which are above ours. So it says here in James chapter 3, Verse 13, going back to our key passage, it says, If you are wise and understanding God's ways, it says, prove it by living an honorable life. Thinking about what it's like, you know, when you're a kid and someone's like, Oh, I could do this. I could like jump over that three meter gap. And you're like, Prove it. That's essentially what this passage is saying. Wisdom is proven. Not just by what we say, but by how we live. It's kind of like the person that's selling you all these investment properties or selling you how to get a get rich scheme and all that kind of stuff, but they're in a rental. They don't have a property. They don't have those things. Wisdom is proven. Wisdom is proven by someone's life. It's great to have knowledge, but wisdom actually shows you how to live. And that's what it's saying in this passage. Let's not just be knowledgeable and have head knowledge. 
Let's show the world how to live by the wisdom God gives us. If you're wise in understanding God's ways, prove it by living an honourable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and get this, demonic. That's heavy. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, as I said before, that means a party spirit, where you, where you form a group or a party that is contrary to what the church and the unity of the church is doing. That's what it means. There you will find disorder and evil and every kind of evil. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. And this, they believe, is actually a quote from Jesus, scholars believe. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. See, wisdom is measured not by degrees, but by deeds. How we live, how we function, how we operate. David Bentley, he said this, I got this quote sent to me through the week, wisdom is the recovery of innocence on the far side of experience. Wisdom is the recovery of innocence on the far side of experience. It's beyond just knowledge. It's beyond just experience and what we've done. Wisdom is opening ourselves up humbly to God. You know, Solomon, King Solomon in the Bible, when he became king, God said to him, hey, what do you want? And he said, I ask for wisdom because I can't lead these people on my own. I need your wisdom. And God says to him, hey, listen, because you asked for wisdom, I'm going to give you fame and riches and all of those things because your heart was right and you don't want to do this on your own, in your own strength. You want my perspective on this. You want my ways of doing things to be above all of that. And I want us to be that kind of church. I want to be that kind of person that says, God, I know I've got some experience perhaps racked up in some of these areas, but God, I can all that a lot as, as loss. To your wisdom, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Where do you want me to go? What decision do you want me to make? Lord, let your wisdom transform my life and help me become who you're calling me to be. Wisdom changes things. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, Teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. See, wisdom goes beyond just the earthly. As the team come, we're coming to a close. Now, in some ways, I think as much as I don't like it, it's kind of healthy at times, I think, for us to maybe go to one or two funerals a year to be reminded of the brevity of life, to put things into perspective, to gain wisdom again. We all know what it's like. I don't like funerals. Unfortunately, my job has been some size that I'm, that I'm running them. They're emotional, they're hard. But I think what happens is we go to something like that and we're reminded. We get wisdom. Sometimes the things that seem so big and in our view, you walk away from that place and you go, that ain't so big anymore the scheme of things we think about the ones that we love and we put it into perspective again we walk away with a 
perspective and a wisdom that we don't have at times, sometimes when we're just in the crunch of life. And that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. We might know, know what to do, but wisdom actually helps us to have the right priorities and to focus on the right things. And so we need God's wisdom. And God's saying here in this passage, the Bible's teaching us, hey, don't just rely on your own strength. If you want to live different to the world, rely on my wisdom. Let it transform and guide your life. Knowledge helps planning, but wisdom helps priorities. It'll help you to be who God's called you to be. So finally, last passage, James 3.13. If you are wise and understanding God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. Would you stand with me this morning? I'd love to pray for you this morning that you would know that weight of responsibility God has given you. That you would know that your words matter. That you would know this morning that when it comes to your future, you need God's wisdom. Let it transform. Wisdom builds the house. Wisdom builds your life. So would you reach out your hands this morning? Let me pray for you. Lord, I just thank you this morning. We thank you for your word, Lord. James chapter 3. We thank you that it reminds us, Lord God, that you are wanting to work through our lives. We have a weight of responsibility as teachers, as leaders, as followers of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we take that responsibility seriously, that you'd help us to be able to carry that weight with grace and poise. And even when we make mistakes, to come back to you humbly, Lord God, again, and allow you to fill us with hope and vision. I pray, Lord God, for our words, that our words would be a source of life, that it would be a pure spring that comes out of our life, that that bitter water that can sometimes get hold and start to speak to us. Lord, I pray that that flow would stop and the flow of the Holy Spirit would come through our tongue. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'd help us to be wise, not in our own eyes, but to be wise with the wisdom of God. Lord, let your wisdom build our lives and build our futures. Build our families, Lord Jesus. Build our businesses. Build the things that you've called us to build, I pray. Lord, we cry out this morning with humility and we say, Lord, we can't do it on our own. We need you, God. Help us build our lives your way. We ask that this morning in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Come on, let's worship Jesus before we finish this morning.